Welcome to Herschel, a gaming podcast. My name is Alex. And I'm SJ. We share the last name Herschel, and we are close friends and cousins that like discussing games. Today, we're going to discuss the state of the gaming industry. Let's get right into it. Herschel. 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 Alex, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I've had a good week. I just got back from Disneyland. Ooh. It's been a good time. What's your favorite ride? Pirates of the Caribbean. That's a good one. I love it. I I I told my family this while we were there, but I could ride that ride all day. If they didn't make <laughs> me get off, I could stay on that boat and just ride it all day. That's amazing. Um, did you do California Adventures too? We did. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most underrated rides is at the entrance of California Adventures. And it's the Little Mermaid one. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, like very briefly, actually. Did we in the episode? I think so. I think we mentioned it. Oh, okay. But yes. Well, here it is I again. I agree. Yeah, this is, this is our plug um, for Disneyland to sponsor us. The Little Mermaid is a good <laughs> ride. We like it a lot. It's a good one. <laughs> it's good. It's very good. Um, okay. Well, we're going to talk about a couple of gaming trends that we think are positive, mm-hmm. that are happening, have happened in the, la- the last couple of years, and also some things that we don't like. And some of the thing- these things are going to be stuff that you've probably heard us mention before, but we kind of want to take a, a deep dive and call out what's good and what is not and before before we get into that um i want to make it clear that we are not experts neither of us have ever worked in the gaming industry um but as consumers as people who enjoy playing games um, these are major issues and aspects of the industry that um you know, make us love games when we talk about the stuff that we like, but things that really are frustrating as a gamer as well. Um, and that, you know, there, there needs to be an adjustment of some sort, even if there are aspects of the industry that we don't understand because we don't work in it as a consumer. This is, you know, stuff that really, really affects us and our decision-making, which will impact a game success. Um, so, just just putting that out there that we're not experts but we do know a good amount for for what we are and mm-hmm. yeah we'll just go in from there yeah just our opinions so obviously take it with a grain of salt but we feel pretty strongly about this stuff yes. so alex are you telling me that if my dad's uncle's brother's uh, nephew works at Nintendo. That doesn't qualify me as a, a specialist in the matter. Well, I think it does, but, you know. I That's not the, the case, the by the way. I was just making that up. I wish it was. Yeah, me too. That would be cool. cool. Okay, first thing. Um, releasing unfinished games. And I mean unfinished. It is clearly missing content and the rest of the game 
follows, typically in the form of a free DLC or paid DLC. Um, yeah. And to make it clear on this one, it's that the games, as far as how they play, are good. Like they're good right. games. Gameplay, and it, gameplay is fine. There's just limited content or content that was promised that is not yet in the game that gets patched in later. Because um, we're going to talk about the flip side of this a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. Um, and these companies typically market it as, oh, we're going to give you free content after mm-hmm. launch. Mm-hmm. So you get this for free. You don't have to pay for the DLC. In the worst case scenario, sometimes it is paid DLC, but I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Um, Some of the offenders in this category are Halo Infinite, Switch Sports, uh, Mario Mario Strikers, from what I understand. Um, Halo Infinite, that... I'm a big Halo fan, and uh, I've been playing it for a very long time, and I was really excited for infinite uh, because we hadn't gotten a new game in a long time there are a lot of promises made it was going to be this you know open world halo game and it is uh and it's very good the gameplay is fantastic um but it was missing a lot of things that make halo halo um at launch it was missing forge which is a big um halo staple basically it essentially is a game mode that allows you to make your own maps Mm. um imagine mario builders but 3d halo it's Mm -hmm. amazing and they've had it on other older titles before um there's another one that i'm really big a fan of which is firefight where you fight waves of enemies in co-op um you are a big fan or are not i I am a big fan okay yeah sorry um and halo is so loved by many people because a lot of people grew up playing this game on their couch with their younger brother or a friend whoever that co-op experience playing through the campaign is um very very important And it's what makes Halo, Halo. And I think in Halo 5, they eliminated split screen. You couldn't play it on the couch on the same TV together anymore. But you could do it online. And a lot of people were mad. Um, But, you know, some people were okay with it. Because, well, at least if your buddy's got an Xbox at his home, you can just play online, co-op together through the campaign. Um, and Halo is known for, or at least was known for, really good campaigns. And Halo Infinite, I I enjoyed the campaign. It wasn't super long, but it was really good. Um, and you don't get a lot of first-person shooters these days that focus a lot on the campaign. The story, Most games yeah. are just, yeah, campaign, I mean the story. Yeah, um, I get you. Most most shooters are just online multiplayer. That's all it mm-hmm. is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not really about that. And yeah. can I keep going? I'm sorry. Of course. No, just, no, not at all. Um, they released the game without even online co-op. So you could not play co-op at all through campaign. 
And it felt strange playing through the campaign because you can tell that certain parts of it were made for co-op. Were made for co-op, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you've got vehicles, you know, where multiple people can get on. And sure, you can have your AI Marines get on and, you know, wreck wreck stuff up for you. But, um, you know, there'll be times in the campaign when I'd approach, there'll be like a, a weapon stash, right? And there'll be like two crates full of weapons, obviously intended for two people there or there'll be multiple or whatever. Um, it was just so obvious that they just could not get it figured out before release and they wanted to release it right before the holidays so that they would get the revenue first. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said when they released the game, I think the game released in November. I can't remember which year, a couple years ago now. Um, they said, okay, co-op campaign is going to be ready in May of next year. I think that's what they said. So it was like six months after release. I thought, okay, that's not terrible. You know, I hate this anyway, but okay, I can wait six, wait six months. Six months come by. It's not released. They release another statement and say, hey, it'll be ready in August. It's not and then they <laughs> say again, oh, it'll be ready in November or whatever. It it took... Over a year. Yeah. Like a year. I, I think so. Oh um, my gosh. I'm trying to remember when Halo released, but I just played Campaign Online with my buddy like a week ago for the very first time because it came out last month. That's absurd. Absolutely absurd, right? Like, okay, you don't have Forge yet. I get it. That's that's a that's a very big thing to develop for. But co-op campaign, like, imagine buying a Pokemon game without being able to trade. It's yeah, like right. that. It's it's that level of this is a core aspect of your game, and has been for a long time like even before those other features and releasing it without it just leaves it half baked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It the game should have released a year after. Okay. Collect your Christmas money a year later. You can live with that. Um I'm sorry. I took a lot of time on one game. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I think now I haven't played Halo um, ever actually. Um but with Halo being it you know we look at it at the gaming industry and this is happening a lot um but halo is microsoft's mario yes without or... halo xbox this is arguable but in my opinion xbox is obsolete without halo i mean it definitely wouldn't still be around the people re- people bought the original xbox I never would have bought my Xbox One S if Halo wasn't on it. Right. Like, and I mean, I guess, I guess nowadays, now that Microsoft has acquired other studios, they have things like Bethesda, which are going to bring a lot of titles eventually. Maybe. Who knows? Those games keep Mm -hmm. getting delayed. Mm -hmm. Those games might not ever come. But yeah, it's like if Zelda released Mario and it was just in this unfinished state where. Nintendo released Mario. 
Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I meant. I gotcha. Or Sony's got a lot of flagship titles. Take your pick. Um, but Halo is not a small franchise. Like this is the reason that people buy a console. They and- showed Master Chief in the reveal trailer of the Xbox Series X. That's how mm-hmm. important Master Chief is. And and it was just messy when finished. And and I think the frustrating part about this specific trend is that the game is good. Like you said, you enjoyed the campaign. It, oh, it yeah. plays the well. Oh yeah, it's so good. I wanted to keep playing it. But, but there it was didn't nothing give to play. Me a lot of reason to do there it. There was nothing to play because they didn't have the content to keep you playing. Even the online multiplayer mode, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're supposed to have like playlists. It's like, okay, I just want to do, um, team deathmatch mm-hmm. or team capture the flag or mm-hmm. whatever. It was so limited in what you could choose. I think when it first launched, you had to randomize every game mode. You you were forced to do that. Like you couldn't just pick whatever mode you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. It was. So eventually, like soon after, I was like, I'm done playing this for until they release actually, the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> until they release the, the content game. that shouldn't been there should have been there from the beginning. Yeah. And this isn't just an issue with mainline titles. Halo Infinite seems to be somewhat like not a rare case in the fact that it is such a major um, part of, of a console's library. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't just happen for major titles either it happens for for smaller games too and it's just as frustrating um because the next game we want to talk about is switch sports that has a similar issue um, we discussed this when we did the direct episode because nintendo yeah. announced that mm-hmm. uh, golf was supposed to be coming out um but golf's been in the game all the other versions of the but game hey at it's launch. free dlc see we're gonna give you free content so so here's here's the most insulting part about the whole free DLC thing is that those those game modes in Halo or Golf and Switch Sports those those aren't things that people might want. Like those are the reasons that people yeah, buy the it, games. It's not stuff that wasn't on it before, mm-hmm. right? A very good example of how to do DLC right. Is stuff like Mario Kart, right? They already had a ton of tracks when you first bought the game, mm-hmm. and they added a bunch more. Or Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep going. It's just it's just that these major features are held behind DLC, and it doesn't make sense. Like, if Switch Sports were to have it released and say, like I f- I personally feel like soccer, the soccer game in Switch Sports, soccer's never been in. The Nintendo sports games before and so if they had switched it developed golf first and then said hey we're going to continue to release sports um, for you guys to play and they said and the first one we're having coming up is this soccer game like I feel like that would have gone over a lot better because soccer isn't a reason that people are buying mm-hmm. switch sports because it hasn't been there from the beginning right and so taking these main an features and making those the extras rather than the main content is why it feels so insulting and kind of like yeah. a slap in the face. If if that had happened where they swapped, they had golf at launch and soccer was the add-on later, I would have bought that game on launch. I still haven't bought it. By the way, Jordan came over and uh, we played Switch Sports. How long um, ago? Two days ago. Two days. Hmm. Golf? 
really good. It's just like Wii Sports, but a little bit better, a little more depth. Um, the motion controls are obviously way superior. Mm-hmm. And all the other modes are really good. Um, if any of you ever get to play that game, my favorites are probably... I really like tennis mm-hmm. and volleyball. Mm-hmm. Volleyball goes hard. Mm-hmm. And if you played that game, you know what I'm talking about. But now that they that they've finally added what should have been in the game from the beginning, which is golf, um, I'm gonna buy the game. As soon as I see it on sale for like thirty bucks, I'll pick it up. Yeah. Um And it's not it's not just these little um, cause I mean, you look at switch sports, right. And a lot of people were excited for it and it is still very much a, um, let's look at the nostalgia that comes from people who played Wii sports or Wii sports resort, um, and make a new one for that group, but even more serial titles. Cause it, it was maybe 10 years, serial maybe titles? a little bit. So there was, there was like 10, <laughs> there was 10 years or so between Wii sports resort and switch sports but titles that even have more of a consistent schedule but aren't groundbreaking titles like halo have the same issue like mario strikers which we've also discussed a little bit on this podcast before and i don't think we're going to spend too long on it because neither of us have actually played the game i've only heard stuff yes but it's the same issue where parts of the game that have been in there since the first title aren't in there and it's just a i mean sj said it before i think he said it in this episode it's a pay first and we'll give you the rest of the game later and it's it just it just doesn't work it's not satisfying it's not something that i look on as a customer and say this was a good choice it feels very I don't even know what the right word is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this again later, but because I really want our listeners to understand this concept. And it is that companies do this because they can get away with it. So if I'm running a company and I can get my revenue before I complete all my expenses, I'm going to do that every time. Because there's time value of money. Mm-hmm. The faster you get money, the more valuable it is. Um, so we need to give these companies a reason not to do this anymore. And vote with your money. Your money is what is going to drive these companies' decisions. So please do not ever... I mean, your choice. But my recommendation would be don't ever pre-order a game in general unless you know for a fact that it is gonna be what you expect it to be i'm, I'm glad you added that in there because as you said that i was like um i definitely have a zelda tears of the kingdom pre-order already paid for and waiting tears of the account. kingdom i am no doubt gonna pre-order that because i know that the zelda team will delay that thing into oblivion until it Before is completely finished and polished right and that that paying or voting with your dollar is absolutely true. Um, and I'm actually going to bring this up again later with another couple games um, because it, it shows and it's proven 
it's basic economics. Um, it's just how it is. If, if we want this to switch and get better, it's stop pre-ordering games or even stop buying games that release and you know that there's more content coming later. Wait to buy it until that content is released because there's two options. Either the company will eventually release it and then they'll pay for it and those companies will look at that and realize, okay, these features need to be in the game before people will buy it. Mm -hmm. Or that content will just never get created because that money won't be coming in and the company will cancel the project and they'll realize, okay, we can't get away with this anymore. Those are the only two options if you follow that idea of waiting to buy a game until it is finished. But that's the only way that this is going to get fixed or changed or improved upon. So. Well said, sir. Um, on a positive note, uh, we are seeing, just in general, really high quality games um, in relatively the early life cycle of, mm -hmm. of new console generations. Yeah. I think I think this is a trend that um, companies have realized helped them financially and then it helps us as consumers as well because um, I look back to the generation of games that kind of started with the Wii U and then continued with the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. Um, if you look at both of those consoles, neither of them really have a standout game until maybe three years into the console's lifestyle life cycle, which is almost half of the time that a console is Did supported. it take that long for PS4 and Xbox too? From what I've heard, like PS4 really kicked into gear about two and a half years after yeah, launch. I have heard that they didn't have a great launch. Yeah, anyway, keep going. And we look at the PS4 now and are like, oh my goodness, that was such a successful generation. Look at all these list of games, all these accolades, but it took forever to get going. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, Nintendo released the Switch. And they decided, you know what? We're going to drop one of the best games of all time on day one when they released Breath of the Wild. And then 10 months later, they said, we're going to take the best Mario game and release that as well. And since then, have had about every year. There have been off years, for sure. Every company has those. And it's unreasonable of us as gamers to expect there to be you know, groundbreaking games every single year. Um, but companies have gotten really, really close to that recently because then Nintendo released Smash Bros. Ultimate, which is still played all the time. And then they released games like... Mario Odyssey. That came shortly after launch too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was the best game of... The best Mario game that they released. And then they had games like Fire Emblem Three Hopes that a lot of people really, really like. And they've done that consistently where about every year they've had a game or two that has really made strides. And it's not just Nintendo because Sony has been doing the same thing, um, you know, with, with the PlayStation 5. Now, we do need to give a little bit of leeway and grace because, you know, pretty soon after this new generation of consoles launched with the PlayStation 5, um, you know, COVID happened. Mm -hmm. The world got shut down. Yeah. And everything got delayed. It wasn't just games. It was movies, TV, other, you know, technology products. Everything got got hit pretty hard. And we're not going to, you know, put that at blame 
we're not going to place blame on that to the companies. Um, but this year, specifically, there have been two titles that have been described as generation-defining, and we're still in the first two years of the generation. Mm-hmm. Like, this generation is going to last for another four or five years, and we already have those two games released this year, and then games before that, like... Um, none are coming to mind. But I do know that this generation's launch and early life cycle has been a lot more positively accepted because they've had better content up front compared to last generation. Um, and this is a trend that needs to continue. And right? as if, an example, stuff like Elden Ring mm-hmm. or Spider-Man, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a little rougher on the Xbox side from what I understand. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, it's been it's been great because it it's what's going to move the sales of these consoles is solid hardware from the get-go, solid software from the get-go. And part of the reason that this is so hard is that, you know, these game engines or this new technology, um, companies keep this under wrap up until, I don't know, would you say about a year before the console launches? Maybe a little bit more than that? Probably more than that if they have to involve, well, in terms of keep it under wraps. But as far as like releasing that information to the public. Yeah. Right. And trying to avoid, trying to avoid leaks because leaks are everywhere now. You know, they probably give developers obviously more than a year. Um, But I, I would argue that Sony has ideas for the next generation already that they're starting to work on and developers won't get that knowledge until maybe two two and a half years before the console actually launches mm-hmm. game development takes a long time and so asking for groundbreaking titles so early in a life cycle is really um, unrealistic which is why it's so impressive that we have these games in the states that they are so early into this current generation right you i i can't get my roommate's brother to stop talking to me about elden ring he loves it every time <laughs> that i mention games he mentions Elden Ring and Elden Ring's been out for almost a year. Wow, that's I just how good it it's is. It's been that long already. That's just how good it is. Yeah. It's become this defining game for so many people. And that's not gonna fade. Like other games are gonna come out and there's gonna be really, really good games, but some of them just aren't gonna be able to hold a candle to games like Elden Ring or the new God of War. It's mm-hmm. just how it is. But I think this is something that we need to celebrate and make clear to companies, this is why we buy your consoles on launch. So that soon after we buy those, we get these games. Mm-hmm. Because it's what makes playing video games an enjoyable experience is having those titles that change not only gaming, but just like parts of who you are as a human. Yeah, no, you're right. It is very impressive. And I just want to mention too that the reason why we kind of already mentioned this, but the reason why it's so difficult to get it on launch is because like you said a lot of developers you know won't get notice they're not going to get notice as soon as the the game console is is being developed mm-hmm. you know they're going to get noticed when they're going to get notice and they have to learn how to develop for that console because each new hardware typically comes with a new architecture um, meaning you have to learn how to best optimize 
your visuals and whatever is going on for that console's, you know, graphics chip or whatever. So, um, typically that's why it's better in the later, later in the life cycle of consoles is because the developers have really got a good grip on how to make their games best with the hardware that they have. Exactly. So, um, I'm still blown away that we got Breath of the Wild on launch day. And that one makes a, a lot of sense because, well, Nintendo can completely control the launch of the Switch in conjunction with their, you know, Zelda team, which is all in-house. But anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's a good no. That's something that we like. Um, however, unfortunately, we know that um, there are still a couple other... Let's rant a little bit more. Exactly. Shall we? Um, and so we talked about releasing unfinished games, and now we're going to talk about releasing unpolished games, which is a little bit different, and I'll have There's SJ clear explain difference. that. Yeah. So releasing an unfinished game is what we already talked about. Gameplay may be good, but it is just missing content that should be there at launch. Releasing unpolished games is releasing games that are clearly they have performance issues there's bugs there's glitches things that inherently stop you from being able to play the game as intended Mm -hmm. um one really really good example of this was cyberpunk 2077 um if any of you know that title it was a game that was hyped up so much years before its release for, for nine years it was announced it nine, years? nine years before it launched that is insane and each year there was progressively more and more things promised and more they did talk about it a lot it, it was year. always talked about there wasn't like a game that gets announced and then disappears for three years to say hey we're launching in nine months it was talked about all the time and so it made the sink pretty bad but fantastic marketing right Everybody Genius. was excited for it, wanted Genius. to buy it. It was supposed to be a genre-defining game. Um, it, it was supposed to change the gaming industry as a whole because of the promises <laughs> that it had made. Yeah. Yeah, oh goodness. Um, <laughs> the problem was that, so for context, that's how long it was advertised, meaning advertisements started before we even knew about the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox series consoles. It, it was marketed for, I think, as early as PlayStation 3. I don't think so. Really? Is that true? Because the PS4 me on that. and Xbox One, they had pretty long life cycles because they had the Pro versions, Xbox Series X. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were advertised as games that were going to be on these consoles right ps4 xbox one and on launch it was borderline or sometimes straight up unplayable on those consoles um i think my excuse me my brother-in-law got it for christmas the year it launched um i think it had a november release too and uh yeah it was not good because i think he had he had a base playstation 4 you know 
and I mean the kind of issues we're talking about are like intro cutscenes are lagging stuttering or crashing your console or or you can't move your character yeah you can't move your character <laughs> or characters popping in and out I mean it was really really bad and I cannot think of a worse launch than cyberpunk 2077 and you know that game launched both on the ps4 ps4 pro the xbox equivalent and um ps5 mm-hmm. and xbox series but the thing was like <laughs> they were saying that you know we recommend that you play it on the the newest console mm-hmm. but they technically didn't even have a game specifically for the newest console well, you would that. be you'd be playing the game through backwards compatibility on the new console, right? So you'd be putting in a PS4 disc into a PS5, and that's the intended use case when it was advertised to play on the base PS4 to begin with? Right, that's the problem, is that they took something that obviously wasn't going to work on the older generation of consoles and still said, it'll be okay. Just just go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty much the only people on launch that could have a decent playing experience from what I've heard at least it could be wrong were the people that had the very few number of modern consoles at the time because those consoles were new and you right? could That's it was so hard to get you them because they were scalped them. you couldn't get them or people that had you know thousands of dollars worth of a gaming PC mm-hmm. um, that could just power through the issues but even then there were bugs right it wasn't just like performance that was the issues it was like bugs inherently embedded into the game um and on top of that it wasn't even gaming defining or anything like from what i've heard it's like a decent story mode and it's like a fun game now right now that all the the bugs are are fixed so i've actually heard that now um it I, i was reading an article like yesterday or not reading the article i saw a headline saying that Cyberpunk 2077's current state has broken CD Projekt Red records because people are rebuying the game now that it is finished and in a polished state and it's outsold games like The Witcher 3. Really? Which is insane because The Witcher 3 has been out for seven years, been re-released for every console that has come out since, I I mean, I guess not the PlayStation 5, but it came out, um, you know, on PC, it came out on the Switch. They put it on everything. Um, and cyberpunk has has been that and that's something to celebrate right the cd project red said okay you know what we're going to issue refunds we're going to refund people that bought it because it's obviously not finished um and and they went to work they worked for years it's been that game came out like late 2020 because i remember it being announced for launch like right after i started my mission Mm. um and so it's been out now for two years and they're finally getting it to a state where it is that it's a good game. Um, not as genre defining as what was promised. Um, but that is something to celebrate that it was fixed, but that doesn't change the problem that they released a game that needed two more years of work before it was playable. I am glad that you mentioned that because 
there is something to be said for having a developer that is willing to publicly apologize, mm-hmm. apologize, um, issue refunds and make it right. And I do think that they've done what they've can to do that, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And in addition to games like cyberpunk 2077, we have a recent release that has similar issues in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet where it's been a mess. It's just been messy. We already put out a little new slash episode on this, but it's a mess. If you see some of the clips out there on the internet, it is some of it is like nightmare fuel. <laughs> like it, 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 it's not even like like you see some of it, and it's like, how is this even taken past like playtest stages? Did you have your quality control department off the entire time you were making this game? I just don't get it. I don't get it. And again, you look at Pokemon. Pokemon is the most has is the biggest media franchise of all time more than mickey mouse more than anything more than anything and they released a game in this day it it doesn't make sense to me now we do want to say um nintendo has been sort of following in this example that cd project red put out and has tried to make um sort of recompenses for it but it's a lot more low-key. They didn't mm-hmm. tweet. They didn't publicly come out and say something. From what I've heard, it's just a page on like their support page online or something, right? And who's going to go and look for that? Um, so they kind of quietly said, hey, we realize there are these issues. Um, we've heard reports that a lot of people are getting refunds actually successfully from nintendo which is notoriously hard to do yes um and but but it's not it's not enough it's just not good enough and just to i think in a lot of people's minds at least for me when i think about nintendo first party games i think quality they're always very very well polished right that's that's part of it is that they sacrifice quantity that other gaming companies try to put out for the sake of quality right like you have you have big franchises in nintendo obviously but you look at the studios that are owned by sony and microsoft and they have so many companies working for them but nintendo Mm -hmm. because they want to focus on quality keep it all in-house and keep it on smaller development teams and so it's it, it's a defining reason that people are Nintendo consumers. And Nintendo is is very conscious about their um how they look to the public, you know, what people think of the Nintendo brand. And this completely, I mean not completely, but diminishes a lot of their goodwill that they have with with consumers. And you know, now I'm going to second guess Every Pokemon game that comes out after this. So I have a question. When when we were talking about unfinished games, we mentioned how, you know, listeners and, and other people should pay with their dollar, right? Wait until mm-hmm. it's finished. Now, I've been hearing a lot of people start to push for, for a movement in where games that are released in, in these states, in these unpolished states, don't get bought ever 
that you make your stand by saying this release was so poor and so misleading and something that could have been so avoidable that people are saying I'm not going to buy this game at all to try to make my point. Do you agree with that or how would you handle purchasing games that are released unpolished and eventually through patches finally get put into a playable state? Um, I think that's, I mean, obviously that's going to be up to each person. For me, that's not, I totally understand why somebody would want to do that, right? Because you're basically boycotting the game in protest, even if they fix it after the fact. And I think that is a completely valid stance to take. For me, I... I would want, well, first of all, I just want to play the game. <laughs> it's a game I'm excited for, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if it's fixed and it's good and it's all good now, like six months after release or whatever, I'm going to buy it because one, I want to play it. And two, that is my signal to the developer. Okay, this is acceptable to me now. You now deserve my $60 or whatever it is. Um, but I, I get the other way too. You know, I think that's totally fine. I think, I think one, you know, the biggest mistake that a lot of gamers make is, like we said, pre-ordering and kind of letting yourself get carried away by the hype and buying it on launch day. And in today's, you know, climate of game releases, that's just not a good idea anymore unless like we mentioned you feel really good about the team behind the game like the zelda team now i know we've been talking for a while and we actually have one more topic before we get into it but before we move on i actually just had another question come to mind um one way that people pre-order games now Mm -hmm. is through kickstarter campaigns right where companies you know usually indie developers or smaller games come and say you know we need funding and if you guys are willing to donate X amount, you know, when the game launches, you get the game. Or if you donate more, you get the game and this collectible or this other merchandise that they produce. Um, and since that is a type of pre-ordering, what do you feel about Kickstarter campaigns? Are you in favor of them? Because it is giving, you know, small development teams an opportunity to develop their game. Um, but you're also, you know putting yourself at risk where there's been some awful Kickstarter games that have gotten huge amounts of support that have failed dramatically. Oh, so where do you stand on Kickstarter? So before I answer that, I think there's a clear distinction between the two. One, pre-ordering a game from a AAA developer, a developer that has a lot of capital Mm -hmm. to make the game. Mm -hmm. They don't need money to make the game before they release it. And those indie developers that are going to Kickstarter because they need the capital to make the game, right? Like they can't make the game without that money. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. So I would be much more inclined to support a Kickstarter campaign with the understanding that it may not go well, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to be willing to, you know, put your money out there with a grain of salt that you may just be making a donation but if you really believe in that game and you believe in the developer and 
you want them to succeed and you're willing to take that risk to help them make it happen, then do it. Um, but, you know, I think that's a comfort gauge that everybody has to figure out for themselves. How would you... I'm curious to hear your answers on that question and also the one before. Yeah. Um, what, what was the one before? I'll do that first. Um, you asked me... Oh, about not buying the game at all. Yeah, 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 if that's okay. Um, I think I think it depends on the game. I'm kind of with you where um, at the end of the day, I do want to play the game. Um, however, in our newsflash about Pokemon, we read um, an email from one of our listeners from, from Taylor, and he mentioned how he made it a point to buy the game used, not on sale from a company, but used so that the developers would not get his money. Yeah. And I think that's probably more among the lines of what I would want to do. Now, I don't like buying used games because I don't trust other people. I've got trust issues. Um, <laughs> but I do think that's a good way to go about it is you you get the chance to play the game, but you're still making a point to a developer that you would rather pay someone else for a version of their game than a fresh version of the developer just because, you know, that company has left such a bad taste in your mouth from, from what they did with that game at launch. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I don't know if I would ever personally actually do it, but I did like that kind of mindset that, that Taylor shared. Um, and for Kickstarter campaigns, um, I love indie games. I've said that many times before. Um, but I've also mentioned how risky of a market the indie game sector can be because there is so much room for people to just put out a game because they did it and it's terrible. Um, it's really cluttered. And I, Very cluttered. I feel like when I hear about Kickstarter campaigns that blow up because... Uh, you know for different reasons like mighty number no. nine nine is a game that was kickstarted um by the person one of the creators or something of the Mega Man franchise and he had a new idea mm. for a similar type of game that was different and it was terrible it raised a ton of money but failed well wow. um, i'm pretty sure no man's sky was kickstarted or funded oh was it don't don't quote me on that um if that's the case that's incredible because that game had a very sour launch, but and they fixed now it been up. Fixed. Yeah, it's good now. And so, I feel like with Kickstarter campaigns, um, it, it's hard for me to say because I don't trust developers until they show me that they can do it. Mm -hmm. Right, like people that developed um, Eastward, which I'm playing right now. Um, now, if because Eastward didn't blow up, and they were to say, "Okay, we're making a new game." this is what it's looking like and it's something that i was interested in i would pay the money um but it would have to be a developer that i've seen do it right before or like stardew valley's developer is working on a new game now um, yeah and like he I, I i would trust him i would give him money to make a game because yeah. he proved it um, but for any first time developer that's just saying hey we have this idea even if it's, you know, the perfect mesh of genres of what I would want to see in a game, I, I wouldn't give them money until they've proven that they can produce something that is worth the money, which is 
hard because the whole point of Kickstarter is giving someone a chance. Um, but that's just not in your personal. It's it's comfort not level for me that, to do that, that right? I would give them that chance yeah. until they had shown. Okay, you've done it before, and you still need the funding to get noticed as a credible developer. I trust you now. Here's the money. Go and try it again. Um, and I don't know how often that happens. So, you know, it, it might be a scenario that doesn't ever really happen. If indie games blow up, they tend to get picked up by studios. Right. That's but true. That's true. I think that's where I stand on it. Um, okay. Well, but, um, but to end on a positive note, um, yeah. we want to talk about um, another the trend that we've seen in the gaming industry that we like, and it is that um, there are games out there that are hard for newcomers to get into, whether it's the gameplay style or just the level of difficulty um, that a game has. Certain game franchises are really, really hard to, to get your foot in the door for. But gaming franchises have recognized that and have made changes to make it a little bit more possible. One of them is one that we've discussed extensively, uh, <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard from basically everybody that has played that game that it's a really good game to start on. Um, if you've played the first Xenoblade or the second one, you know there might be certain mentions or cameos in the game that, that you'd appreciate, but you did not need to have any knowledge of the older games. It's a standalone story in the gameplay. It does a really good job, from what I've heard anyway, of helping you learn it. And, you know, it's approachable is what I'm trying to get at. Um, And I will say, as someone that has put more time into it since talking to Jordan, not as much as I would have liked, um, not because... You know, I'm still struggling to get through it. There are still issues that I have, um, but it is better. Jordan was right. Um, It's just that I haven't had time, but it is completely standalone. I have the only knowledge that I have of the other games are based off of um, characters in Smash Bros. (laughs) That's it. That's all I know. And Shulk. That's it. Um, But I don't feel completely lost in the story there. Obviously, it's, it's a pretty mysterious and hidden story and a slow burner. But it's not like there's all this stuff where it's like I have absolutely no idea what's going on because the game explains everything within its story frame very well. A um, couple others, you know, we already talked about Elden Ring, but I've heard from a lot of Souls uh-huh. fans uh-huh. that that's, you know, it's still a difficult game, mm-hmm. but it's much more approachable. It eases you into it. You know, you can change your difficulty. Uh-huh um because yeah. souls games have well most souls game there, i think there's only one that hasn't um they have you know you, you you build your character you build your stats in the way you want but the way that elden ring's stat tree is um created just allows for a lot more variety in how you choose to tackle the game so you're not stuck to three paths that you could go with in the older games but in elden ring you have you know, 12 different ways to go about combating or exploring the game. And they all work. It's not that one is specifically favored. They all have, 
you know, credibility I've, behind them. I've heard it explained or compared to Skyrim in that aspect mm, mm-hmm. that your approach to your build and combat um, can completely change how your game plays, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Um, yeah. And I think that's something to celebrate because every, or I've mentioned how excited I am for Octopath Traveler and excited to play those games at some point. Um, but the game from my research makes it clear that there are certain characters that are inherently harder to play as Mm -hmm. and that's kind of their like difficulty scale and i don't love the idea of that i don't love that there are certain play styles that the game hasn't that that that's how the game chooses to influence difficulty like if i want to play a game in a stealth mode i feel like i should be able to do that or if i want to just go in guns blazing i should be able to do that like you want where, there to be difficulty scaling for each play style. Yeah, I don't right? want it to be based on play style. I, yeah, exactly. I want it to be a little bit more organic, which is why Elden Ring is so beloved in that. For, for this trait in its game is that you choose, and as hard as the game still is, there's not one way of playing that's like, well, you have to do it this way, otherwise you're going to have to spend 50 hours grinding through the game. So... I won't go into a lot of detail, but um, I've heard that Monster Hunter is the same case as well. Mm. A lot of Monster Hunter games are beloved by, you know, people that have played Monster Hunter for years, but they are historically uh, very difficult games to get into if Mm -hmm. you're not familiar with, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's the menu system or the combat or, or how you go about your build or whatever. Um, but I've heard that Monster Hunter, what's the most recent one? Rise. Rise. Yeah. Um, does a better, better job at easing newcomers. So, and it's not just matters of play style for games that are improving in this manner, but it's accessibility for different types of gamers because there are people that love to play games and something happens where, you know, their hands can't move the same way anymore, where they're not as fast with inputs or they need, or, or the control scheme itself is what keeps people from enjoying games. And as games continue to develop and become more um, story-based and experience-based and really create larger impacts on people, um, you know, it's it's hard to see people who want to enjoy a game and can't because they physically, like, can't mm-hmm. play the game. Um, but recently, games have started to provide options for people that have those physical limitations or disabilities. Um, Like starting in 2020, when The Last of Us 2 dropped, as controversial as the game is, um, you could change your control scheme to to, to play the game in a way that worked for you. If you struggle to see certain colors, you can change the color scaling on it to see a better... That um, I didn't know. That's really cool. Right, like they're... I've, I've seen clips where like it looks very um, like early development stages, but you can make certain things like you can, you can give up the graphic fidelity to make them look a little bit blockier, but make, make it just fit for people better that have like so visual impairments. people can identify right? objects in the game. Exactly. And yeah. Um, and since then it's continued, you know, the game awards puts out one of its awards every year for innovation and accessibility. Um, Last of Us 2 won it the the first year, and then 
Forza Horizon won a racing game, found a way to make it accessible for people. And this year they've got a couple really good options. Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok has it. There have been a lot of games that have been put out that provide accessibility for gamers that are limited. And that's something to celebrate and make clear to developers that this is something that I'd like to see in every major game put out. If you have the resources to make it happen and every major developer does, they should do it. Because not only, I mean, speaking cynically, financially more people will be able to buy their game. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the social impact, it helps the community. It helps these people feel valued and seen as individuals, which should be reason enough. Um, but yeah, just it's to make a win-win it clear, for everybody. It's it's only good. And if people want to say, well, it takes extra development time. No, it doesn't. Not really. Just just put some sliders in. You know, I, I can't say that. It'll, <laughs> I mean, it'll it add development time. It, it does, will be. But <laughs> and I think the net positive will always outweigh the time that it takes to implement it in because it's not just a financial statement. It's a we care about anyone that wants to be a part of this can be a part of it and we're going to make it possible. I just want to add to that. Um, and if I'm right, I think Xbox is the only one that's done this, but they have their accessibility controller. I can't remember the name of it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. um, where you can plug in all sorts of different peripherals so uh -huh. that, you know, people that might be missing their forearm or fingers or whatever, right? They're able to play games and enjoy it by completely customizing the way the controller works. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and Microsoft has really been ahead of everybody else in that that sense. I mean, that controller has been out for years now. Yeah. Um, and it I would think... be cool to see something like that for mm -hmm. every console that the developer can just keep in mind so that maybe it eases the burden on development a little bit and they can just say, oh, well, because this console has this controller already established you know these controls could be mapped to this or that uh -huh. or you know i think it just adds another layer of flexibility and not only is the technology there because microsoft's done it but like microsoft and sony have both put out their like their pro controllers or the extra ones that have um you know i'm talking about like the little on the paddles back of the control the, the paddles. i don't think sony's done it yet but i think but they have plans it. for it yeah and yeah um like that kind of stuff, I mean, obviously that's marketed and based towards professional gamers. But if they're doing that for that, I don't see a reason why they can't do the same for people that aren't programmers and need those accessibility options. I think that the technology is there and I think the market would be there. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's not going to rake in tons of money, um, but... I, I think it is definitely worth it for every company because at the very least, you're going to get a lot of good PR out of it. Like a lot of people are going to like that and say, this is something that needs to be supported. And that is the hard part of that, that, you know, I think I would be curious to see how much money Microsoft has made by developing that controller, because there's going to be, I would guess, a way bigger market for like pro 
gamer controllers, right, with more paddles and features on the back than there are controllers for for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that is an opportunity cost that that they have to take into account. Okay, if we put more resources into this, how much money are we losing when we could be doing something else instead that's going to rake in a lot more money? So I understand that aspect mm-hmm. too. I just, it would be nice if we could have something like that for every console. And all I'll say is, you mentioned the Microsoft's accessibility controller. I learned about that controller in my junior year of high school in my English class. (laughs) The teacher, who was not a gamer, felt so impressed by it that she decided to have a class day where she talked about positive marketing and how marketing goes beyond um, just the product itself, but what you can do for the world and for your company in reaching out to people that feel undervalued. And so I don't have a need for that controller, but I've known that it's existed for a long time. That's free marketing that could not be taken in a negative way. No one's going to look at that and say, why did you do this? This is a terrible move. Yeah. Everyone's going to think that it's a good thing. And, and so, I guess it's, it's like you said, it's not always about the bottom line. And right. I mean, as a result, we're here talking about Microsoft, right? And praising them for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'd be doing the same for Sony and, and Nintendo if they would do exactly. a similar thing. Exactly. So okay. we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Thank you for joining us for an hour today. Wow, long episode. But we're super happy to have you. And we hope that you've enjoyed listening to this. And we'd love to hear your thoughts um, on the topics we discussed today and other trends in the gaming industry that you have noticed. What did we miss? What would you like us to talk about in the future? Please reach out to us on Twitter at Herschel Podcast. That is spelled H-O-E-C-H-E-R-L Podcast. You can also email us at Podcast at gmail.com. Please let us know. And don't forget to leave us reviews and i will say moroni wasn't too active during our discussion today but at the end she did start to share her thoughts and so we will be having some of those comments up on twitter for you to check out thanks for your support we love you bye-bye